Welcome to the podcast about stories from the center of the universe. I'm Daniel Lance. I'm Paul Gilman, and this is Podzo One. As one of the 27,000 lost boys of Sudan, John Dow has experienced challenges that most people could never imagine. As a young man, he fled his home during the Second Sudanese Civil War, spending much of his adolescence as a refugee, fleeing hostile militias, fighting against extreme hunger and thirst, and leading thousands of young boys just like him across hundreds upon hundreds of miles in search of safety. Today, John Dow is a compelling motivational speaker whose life is defined by his uncompromised commitment to having a lasting impact on the future of South Sudan. In our conversation, John recounts his incredible story and his activities since, including founding the John Dow Foundation, which provides crucial medical and nutritional services to the citizens of South Sudan. To get involved and donate, please visit John Dow Foundation, J-O-H-N-D-A-U, foundation.org. So here is John Dow. So, John Dow, welcome to Podso One. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, took you about 30 minutes to get over here, which I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. I wish we could have figured out a way to get over uh, to your side of town, but here, here we are nonetheless. No problem. I'm very happy doing it. Very cool. So do you remember as a child, before all, all of the, your troubles started, what it, what mm-hmm. it was like day to day living oh, well, in South Sudan? It was uh, so... Uh, remembering what what the village was before the war, you know, it was just a simple village. Uh, it's a typical uh, African village where, when you know, people like us uh, would mean like like me at that age. Let's say, if you are basically, if if you are a if if you live in South Sudan in the village, you have to have something to do. I mean, everyone has something to do. In America, you know, kids, they play and eat and sleep. But in South Sudan, they do the same, but also do something. They have some responsibilities. And if you are, let's say, from age four, age five, six, uh, you take care of chicken, for example. So you make sure the foxes are not coming into your house uh, or into your home state to eat your chicken. So it's your job, as young as you are, as young as four, it's your job to make, make sure that the you know, chickens are taken care of. Uh, bobcats and foxes don't eat them. But as you progress from age, let's say age uh, six, seven, eight, then you, 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 tran- you uh, sort of pro- you know, you know, transition from taking care of chicken to taking care of goats and sheep. So you go out to the, you know, to the wilderness, you know, to mm-hmm. the forest where you can take care of uh, your goats. So your job there is to make sure hyenas, um, other animals such as leopard, uh, and others will not eat them. So you got to have to take care of, watch over them all day until you bring them home. And then from there, you transition also from, let's say, age seven, uh, eight, nine, 10, 11, then you transition from taking care of goat and sheep to taking care of cows. Mm. So you go to, again, maybe spend about a few um, you know, hours away from the village. You're taking care of cows. Now there will be boys from, let's say if this is a village, there'll be boys from that, a boy here and there, maybe five of you, six of you depend 
you bring your cows together, you take them far away where they could take, where they can eat, <clears throat> eat good grass. In America, you don't move things, you know, things are uh, put in a, in, a, in a fence and, you know, cows and are put in a fence. They don't go to other places. There's something called, you know, trespassing, you know, in America. But there in Africa, you know, you just go anywhere you want. You know, belong to you. Uh, nobody say, hey, this is my land, don't come here. So you take your cows that far away, and then you just play there. You know, all of you, you tell stories, you take turn to go there, you go and take care of cows, make sure you go there and see they're all doing well, come back and play. You sit on a, a small little ant hill, because the long grass in the savanna grass is very tall, so you sit on a a little bit race area was called an hell and then you just and then you do that until you bring them back uh, you know in the evening and then you do that next day and so on so that is what we call our school in mm -hmm. america school are put in a you know our school activities take place in a in a building you know, and then somebody tell them, somebody call a teacher, will tell them this, that, and that. This is how you teach children in America. But in South Sudan, our schools are all over the places. So you go take care of goat, take care of chicken, take care of cows. That's your school. And if you are a girl, you, your job would be to, <clears throat> you know, I guess sort of the same age, would be to take care, you know, of other siblings. Or you go to the porous and get firewood or get water far away. You know, in America, you have water in a, in a building, something called placet, you know, posset that you turn on and then get water and then that's it. Or also in America, you have this thing called, um, uh, you know, a stove where you turn it on and then the fire come, voila, and then you cook and then turn it off. These things, we do not have those in, in Africa, especially in the villages. So what you do is go far away, get firewood, you know, so for, for cooking, go far away, uh, long distance where you can get water and, you know, for the, for the family consumption. So, so in all the things that we do, either taking care of chicken, taking care of goat, getting out and get firewood, get water, taking care of cows, that is our normal work. This is the day-to-day -day sort of activities take place. And as you do all of this, it's part of your schooling. You, you, somebody's telling you, don't do that. This is how you take care of your animal. This is how you take care of this. This is how you walk. This is how you do this. So that is the schooling. We do not have schools uh, in the village. So that is the setting. You know, a village and another village will come back sometime. They have celebrations, people are wrestling, others you know, competing, you know, by composing songs and so on and so on. So that is the, 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 the sort of a backdrop of how, you know, in the villages, how you live in villages in Africa, especially in my, in South Sudan. So a lot of hard work, being independent, it sounds like at a very young age, uh, very different uh, growing up in a village in Africa than it would be to say, grow up in the Richmond suburbs. That's correct. Like your children are growing up in the Richmond suburbs today, right? That's correct. Yeah. And our suburb is not like uh, the village because we have all the things that we have. We are so blessed to be in America where in my house here in Richmond, 
we have all these things that I was talking about. We don't go out and get firewood. We don't go out and get water. We don't go out and take care of sheep, you know, uh, goats and cultivate and so on. Or what we do here in America, which is a blessing, I just go to a store. I just go to something called grocery store. These giant things has all kind of food there. And then we just buy and put them in our car and then we bring them home. Easy. Very easy. Uh, we take it for granted, I imagine, uh, most people in America, because they don't know any other way. No. So how old were you when, when the war came to your village? I was 12 years old. 12 years old. So can you describe, was it daytime or nighttime when, when the... Uh, it was the, the nighttime. Came? So <clears throat> before the war came to my village, you can tell that there's something was about to happen from the adults. You can see adults are worried, are talking about if we are attacked, if this has happened, where do we go? Do we run toward River Nile? Do we go toward the east? Do we go where? So we children, we knew something is about to happen because you can see from the worry faces of the adults. And, but we keep dismissing it. You know, children, we just go and play. One night, when my brothers and I were sleeping in our own house, uh, you know, in Africa, it's not like you have a big building in the United States, and then inside you have room, some other rooms, some people rooms. So in Africa, your, your father built a, your home compound into home of, uh, you know, a little hut of the boys, which means little, you know, little building of the boy, house of the boys, house of the girls, house of your mom, house of visitors and things like that. So my brothers and I, we were sleeping in our own house, you know. In the middle of the night, the whistling of bullets, the bombardment woke us up in the middle of night. It was my mother calling outside. The only thing that I heard out was my mother yelling outside, saying, children, children, get out. As we got out, I, I, I guess I was the first, so, so I got out of the, this building, and then I saw somebody running across my home compound. I thought it was my father. Mm -hmm. So I was running after this man, you know, and then the rest of the family took their direction. So I was running after this man that I thought was my dad. Later, it dutched into the grass, and I was coming, it grabbed my right arm and pulled me into the grass. A long line of troops were coming, shooting, burning down houses, killing anybody they could find, uh, looting our cows. It was as if God got tired of us, and that's uh, how the title came about. Um, then the guy that I thought was my father turned out to be my neighbor, and that neighbor and I, we sort of sheltered there in the long grass until the shooting died down, and then it was, then quickly was the morning. So I knew that it was my neighbor, so he and I, we kept running. So we were attacked from the west, we're running toward east. So we were going, running as fast as we could, away from the village. Along the way there, you know, we went for about a day. You know, all what was in my mind, I'm thinking, is to get back to my family. Where is my mother? Where are my brothers and my sisters and my dad? And so on. So we kept going. Uh, about two days, 
we went, you know, we went far away from the village, and and then as we're walking away, uh, and um, I was so hungry, there was no food. Went for f- f- you know about two days with no food. You know, in America, you said you go for a day without food, you're gonna die. You know, <laughs> I, we didn't die, and we kept going. Later, this this uh, neighbor it dug a, uh, a root of a plant called amajro, dug it out. We ate it. That was our first food after uh, two days with no food. It tastes like apple. And so we kept going. Now it was clear that we were not coming back home. So we were going toward, so two of us, later we were uh, five. So there were one woman and her two daughters and two of us, so we were five. So now kept going. Now along the way there, uh, it was very difficult. I mean, it was very cold. I still remember, it's like as cold as here in Richmond, maybe around December or mm. January. It's too cold here, right? So in that, uh, you know, that situation, in, in our case, it was too cold. We didn't have blanket. So imagine that you have no, have no blanket, you have no shoes on, you have no some clothes on. I mean, you, you know, and, and, and it was just very cold. That was what really killed me at the time. Uh, and we were hungry too. I mean, uh, as we kept going, moving away, as far away as we could, um, to find water, we uh, most of the time listened to the sound of frog making noise, quack, quack, and then maybe there is water there. Or we look around where there's birds circling around. Maybe there's water or something is dead there. So we kept going. Something to, to eat, we, you know, so that we went to, in, through a band, abandoned home, you know, and then we go there, look for something to eat. We could find pumpkins or we can find some grain. Sometimes we eat them raw, uh, you know, uh, and then so we kept going. Uh, the situation really reduced us to be chewing grass, you know, eating anything we could find the wild fruits, and, and as, you know, everything was coming at us. It's like you are drinking from the host, you know? Uh, you, know you, you know, so the, 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 the hunger, the thirst, the, the element, the environmental element, the, 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 the cold, everything was very difficult. And so we, as I say, we were five. Later, and that woman and her two daughters were abducted. Mm. And so two of us. As along the way there, we were then 18. By the time we were almost getting to Ethiopia, we were about 27 of us. Uh, so from the village to Ethiopia, it took us about three months to get there on foot. You know, there's no buses, no car, nothing. Right. So as we were going there, so we were trying to dodge some tribe that were very hostile the Nuer, the Murile, the Anyuak. So when we know this is a village, we either hide in the long grass until the, the nighttime, and then we go around these villages, around them, so that nobody can, can see us. Uh, so most of the time we walk at night. Sometimes we walk daytime when there's no any village around us. So as we're doing this, that actually put us in a situation where we could not find water. 
So I still remember between a place called Pibor and Pochala, there, we went there for two days with no water. We were looking for water, everybody. So it's 27 of us. Now we went for almost two days with no water. Everyone was crying. They want to see, you know, they want to drink water. Uh, you know, so, so now desperation kick in. You are on your own. Others didn't want to move. They didn't want to move forward. They just stopped there and they said, I'm going to die here. Then we tried to find, like, a, help somebody urinate and then you drink urine. Mm. That did not help either. Uh, and so by the time we found, we were better lucky, found some muddy water, only four of us survived. Uh, oh. 20, we're 27, 23, uh, died. Uh, you know, we left them. Some were still alive and so on. So, but only four of us made it. Uh, to, and then we find good water, we drank, and then we kept going, only four of us. As we were almost getting to Ethiopia, we came through uh, a, a villages of a tribe called Anyuak. We heard then that they have killed an elephant. So we went there to beg them, f- ask if they could give us uh, some element, you know, elephant meat. Um, you know, as we are approaching them, uh, you know, th- th- there were some of them who were a bit hostile. Didn't, you know, they chased us away, and then we ran away, and then it stopped there, four of us. Uh, and I think a little bit older gentleman, I guess he, he felt pity on us, and so he, he, wal- he sort of, uh, you know, welcome us, welcome us back. So he gave us a big chunk of, of, of elephant meat. So we took it, we were very happy. Cook it, we cook it, cook it for hours and hours. Uh, later when it was ready, took it out. There was no knife to cut it. So what I did was, I had a knife, <laughs> sharp teeth. So what I did, I, I got a bunch, I mean, pull it um, and then tear it off using my, my teeth and then give it to that person, tear it off from take it out from my mouth, give it to that person. So until we, we finished elephant meat, it was the delicious food we, we, we ate after, uh, uh, since, since we were attacked, since uh, the attack on my village. So that was really good. And that elephant meat helped us, you know, finish the rest of the journey until we got to a place called Pinudu refugee camp. At that time, there was no refugee camp there. It was just a place. The Ethiopian government, uh, they, um, they show us a place and say, hey, you go and live there. It's just pointing to porous, to the woody area. Go and live there. So we went there and lived under tree for, um, in those trees for a while. And later we built our own houses there. Uh, and then I guess the United Nations High, High Commissioner for Refugees, known as UNHCR, uh, heard about us and they you know, they came, they brought some food, and they're under those trees, and then we stay there, and uh, then more, more of the lost boys and lost girls were coming from different directions. So we all converged into that area called Pinyadu Refugee Camp. We stayed there, we stayed there for a while, and then later, because we lost families, we decided to make our own families. So 50 people as a family, 50 people as a family. As I told you before, I was 12 years old, but I was taller than the other boys, so I was picked to become a leader of one group. Mm. My group started 50 people. And then later, to add some of the boys into my group, uh, we become 1,000 
200 boys. Uh, their age were from age 5 to age 15. These boys are crying every day. They want to drink milk. They want to see their mothers. They want to eat food. There is nothing I or other older boy could do to them. We just lie to them that tomorrow will be okay. Tomorrow will be good. Tomorrow will be better than today. We just lie to them. We lied, we're lying to them that tomorrow will be better. And that what we're trying to do to give a brother some sort of uh, hope so they can hope for tomorrow. So we stay there. Um, and, and the World Food Program, then they start bringing more food. You know, in the United States where you, you know, your children, when you go to the uh, a closet of your children and make sure, you know, pick what they could not wear because your children have grown, and then you pick those and put them into somewhere where you can give them to Goodwill or something like that, those clothes, you know, are wonderful. I mean, they, they got to us at that time. So we were given some clothes, so that when it is time to distribute clothes, as these secondhand clothes, so when you are given a shirt, somebody else will be given a pant. Uh, when you're given a pant, somebody else will be given a shirt. So at least you're wearing something. And then they start giving them some, uh, you know, blanket, uh, uh, which I know here in America it's called quill. You know, they put layers of that sheet, another sheet, or three or four layers together, and they sew it together. Mm-hmm. I think the LDS, uh, uh, you know, make those or somewhere else, you know, uh, or somebody else, you know. So it was great. So we stayed there in Ethiopia for four years. Mm. Uh, diseases such as cholera, typhoid, wolf and cough were killing boys every day. You know, I remember my group, about two or three boys dying every day mm. uh, because they were, they were not vaccinated, there were no vaccination. So boys were completely opposed to these sort of childhood diseases. And many dies. My group, two or three boys die every day. We can take their bodies to bury them somewhere. Uh, and then we, we, come in, we come back the following day to, 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 to bury the, you know, more bodies. We could find the bodies of those we buried the previous day eaten by wild animals, uh, mm-hmm. such as hyena. It was a very graphic part of a life story. Uh, but we, we kept going. Kept going with the life there. We stayed there. Uh, and then they brought more medicines and vaccinate some of us, those who, who didn't die, you know, were vaccinated. And then four years later, uh, our life getting better. Uh, more food, more of everything, we were okay. But the government of Ethiopia, which was good to us, was quickly overthrown by the by Ethiopian rebel base in northern Sudan, mm. which is actually... The, the, the current government today in Ethiopia, um, uh, they overthrew that government, and then the government that was friendly to us, uh, you know, was no longer there. So the new government didn't want us to stay in Ethiopia. So they gave us seven days to move, to move back to South Sudan or move anywhere. So the number of the lost boys and lost girls and some adults we became 27,000. As we're moving back to South Sudan, we have to cross some rivers. So there are, uh, you know, rivers at the border. There's a river called Gilo. So we went there, stopped there at that uh, river, trying to find a way to cross the river because some of us did not know how to swim. And then from there, you know, there was no way to cross, uh, you know. And now, so we stand, stay there 
about three days to trying to figure out how to cross the river. You know, if you watch National Geographic channel where you can see animal crossing rivers in Africa and then the crocodile grab them, that was what was about to happen to us. Mm. So one of the day about 3 p.m., the government of Ethiopia sent troops after us and they often fire on us, killing some of the boys, some drowned, some eaten by crocodiles, others shot and killed, others lost, some captured. Uh, for me, so I still remember when I dive into the water, I mean, we knew that these might be people from the northern Sudan are coming to take us to, 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 to uh, Sudan. So we better, you better die than, to take, than they can take you. I dive into the water, found myself in the water. I didn't know how to swim, but miraculously, I knew how to do a backstroke. Mm. I never trained myself, you know, so, but there are these Nubian guy, big guy, jump, because I guess look at me as I am, I mean, he want me to help him. He jump on me, you know, and he, and he keeps saying, Sadiana, Sadiana, which means help me, help me. And then we all went underwater, all the way under, you know, uh, you know, I swallowed more water and so on. And then somehow we came back on the top and he was, he was holding me, and then we went back again, and I thought I was just going to, that was the last day for me. Somehow, I think I yanked it out, and I got out, and, and then I found my, my, you know, myself outside, the other side of the river. Mm. I crossed it. You know, the water was on my uh, chest here, and then I crossed it. We, I went into the grass, into the, you know, long grass, all ran. Those who survived and myself, we went to a place called Pochala. That garrison was controlled by Sudan People Liberation Army. That was the, those who were fighting the north. Uh, and so they welcomed us there. Those who survived, I think we had about 18,000 survived. We were 27,000, I think some lost, others died, others drowned, others eaten by crocodiles, others captured, whatever happened to many. So, but those who and my those survive and myself, we went there and stayed there for about six months. Uh, six months there, um, with with the Sudan People Liberation Army, the army there, the rebel, and they little put their hat. We all ran out of food, and now the clothes. So we start selling our clothes for food. So we go to the Anyak area. Remember, this is the same area where we found them have killed an elephant before when we were coming in. Right. So that is the same place. And so we then start selling our clothes. So if you have a shirt, you can, we go into the community, into this village, and tell people we, we are selling shirt for food. And then we, they would give us a mock pull of, uh, a, a big cup pull of corn, dry corn. And then they take your shirt. Then this is what we're going to feed on for two days or three days, it depends. And then later we my, my turn to sell my clothes until we all sold our clothes for food. Mm. Uh, we all remain naked. So, the, <clears throat> so we stayed there. The government of Sudan knew that we're back in South Sudan. So they sent Russian made a, a aircraft known as Antonov. They bombed us uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, killing some of the boys and girls. So we decided to move to the interior part of South Sudan. So we left that place. We went to a place called Kapoita. From that place to Kapoita, it took us six months to get there. Mm. Some 
died along the way because of starvation and thirst. Some also were, um, you know, were abducted along the way because the, this tribe along the way, they were very hostile, mm. S- especially the, these, the Murule and the Anyuak there. They could use the body of human being to, uh, to use as a bite for a leopard because mm. they, they could get, kill you and leave your body there and, and then they will wait for a leopard to come. And then they could kill leopard because the leopard skin used for a dowry in their culture. So we were used, we, so, we, was, we became so cheap to, so our bodies would be used for uh, as a bite. So we went to that place called Kapoita. So the number of the laws was sort of reducing as we go. Died along the way because of all the element. By the time we get to Kapoita, our number reduced to 12,000. Mm. And then we were there for three months. Then we were attacked from their place. Some were killed, were bombed and killed and so on. So we moved to another place called Nairus. There in Nairus, we stayed there for about a few months there, and then we were attacked from there, and that was in 1992. So we entered into another country, Kenya. We entered into Kenya there. Now, uh, at that time, I was 17 years old. There, we, um, in, in, um, in Kenya, was good, because the Kenyan government did not allow, South, uh, did not allow Sudanese troops to cross into their territories. And another good thing was, that is the place where we're very comfortable. And this is where we start to, to go to school. Uh, this is where I start to learn A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, at age 17. That was the first time you were in a classroom? First time, my classroom. Wow. And there was no room. There was just under a tree. So uh, that tree like that one will be a uh, class, another tree, a class, a class like that. So you sit on the dirt using your finger as a pencil to write your A, B, C, D, so all of this. We were very happy because we're getting education. Very happy. So we work hard. Uh, the, you know, the United Nations, you know, God bless United Nations agency, those who are giving us everything and they're paying, uh, paying f- our teachers to teach us to, by giving them food. You know, that was their salary. It was great. Um, so we work hard. We stay there in Kenya, although it was very rough, but it was not like other c- c- refugee camps. Because the, the, the Trukana, the people, the people in that area were also very rough, too. They were killing some of the boys as mm. well. And so, but they were not as, as bad as the other group. So we stayed there until 2000 when I finished my high school uh, there. And then we were told that, uh, you know, Americans are here to take you to America. So this is when our next chapter starts. So this is so we stayed there in the, in uh, Kenya for about nine nine years in in refugee camp. You had been away from your home village for fourteen years. Yes. Wow. Yep. Wow. So who was bringing lost boys to America? So so what happened is, and as you know, for all that uh, in the United States, they have a refugee program. They bring all kind of people from different places to United States, which is what make America great. Uh, and in 2000, I think it was, it was accepted at, or maybe discussed at the Congress that the Lost Boys will be, will be given a chance to come to America. And the way the America do it is America would consult with UNHCR, 
that what type of group that need to be resettled, that war is still long in their country, that it's going to be very difficult for them to go back to their uh, country. So it was us in 2000, the year 2000. So the idea that, that the program of the Lost Boys started, started by the Congress, and then the Congress contracted some agencies in the United States, such as Joint Voluntary Agents and INS plus others as well. And then they sent their representative to the camp First time to see an American. They were, you know, we were told that Americans are here, they will take you to America. We didn't believe them. The way America looked at these tall guys with long noses, you know, and, <laughs> um, and uh, from there, you know, they said they will take us to America. Um, and we really didn't believe them. And then before the end of 2000, the year 2000, 2001, before the end of 2000, uh, 2001, they returned. They came back, and then they started doing paperwork, taking some of the lost boys to Nairobi. Nairobi is the capital city of Kenya. And um, it was real now. We, we thought, oh, wow, we're going to go to America. Now, a topic about America is everywhere. People are talking about America as if they know, know America. Some people will say, you know, John, it's OK to be lazy in America. <laughs> because if you are lazy in America, American will tie something called green card around your neck. And you just go to any restaurant, and then the owner of the restaurant will say, hey, you are a refugee. Welcome. Come and eat for free. <laughs> and then you come in. I say, wow, this is great. While others were saying, you know, if you go to America, America have a very wonderful technology. So you want to go to a restaurant in America, you don't need somebody to serve you. So what you get is you entered into the building called a restaurant, and then you sit in front of a big table. And on the top of those big tables, there's some button. There's chicken button, there's a beef <laughs> button, vegetable button. So if you want to eat chicken, you just push chicken button, and chicken coming rolling from nowhere. I say, wow, this is a, I would like to push this chicken button. You know, while others say, John, you know, be careful when you go to America, because American girls are crazy. They say, how crazy American girls, and they explain, they said, any girl in America, they carry a small bag. And they said, do you know what is in those bags? I said, no. They say they have guns in it. <laughs> if you mess up with American girls, they shoot and kill you. you know? And I said, well, this is a country where women are, women are you, know, uh, you know, you have chicken button, women are killing people. You know, what am I going to do? Well, a few days later, my name came out on the board. I said, John, you're going to Syracuse, New York. Mm. Huh, okay. I said, okay. You know, I'm going to go to America because of girls. I'll stay away from American girls. <laughs> so we, you know, then I was flown to Europe and then to JFK, uh, New York. And then we were then taken to, took another, we took another airplane to, you know, fly to, to Syracuse, New York. And then there at Syracuse, New York, uh, there were people from our church waiting for us outside. And we, as we merged out of the corridor, I, I guess one of them ran up to us and said, hey, John, welcome to, I think they knew we were from, uh, from Africa, very, very dark skin and uh, skinny. They knew that we came from Africa. So they ran up to us and they said, yeah, okay. They greet us. They were very nice people. They asked us. 
how was our flight and so on. And they were very, very nice people. But there were four girls there. <laughs> I didn't want to go and hug those girls. I thought I would mess them up and shoot and kill me. So I stay away from them. So they took us to our apartment, which actually took them the entire day to show us how to turn off light, turn on light, twist it, push it, the, the hot water, the cold water. You know, this is where the refrigerator is. This is what kind of food you put in the preach, this kind of food you don't put in the preach, like dry corn, like you can't, can't put it there. You know, there are things that are known as, you know, preachable. Those are the things that you got to... So it took them really the entire day for them to show us how, to, how the apartment worked. But before they go home, go back to their home, they say, John, you know what, let's take you to, to the grocery store so we could show you how to buy groceries. I said, okay. So we went there, and so I was following the Susan Myers and Penny Allen. So we are coming and coming to this just very big building and known as grocery store. At that time, we were called Peters. So we're coming closer and closer and closer to the door of this building, and a magic door opened itself <laughs> like that. I was amazed. And I say, truly, the American people are very lazy, and that's why they don't want to pull the door or push the door. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell those women. I thought they would be angry and shouldn't kill me, so I stay away. So we went inside of this grocery store, I got to tell you. I mean, uh, when we went inside here, so lots of food. What I know today called salad, I thought there's grass for animals. You know, I did not know people can eat grass if they were not in our situation, you know. But it's something called salad. We went, you know, upon aisles of that food, of that food, and even we came upon aisles of dog food and cat food. I was so amazed, I got to tell you. I mean, the country is so wealthy, even animal-owned aisles, you know. It was... <laughs> Unbelievable. But anyway, so we went there, and we went to this section of, water, of uh, milk, right? And you know that milk is so important in our diet. At home in the village, milk, milk is very important for us. But since 1987 to 2001, we never drink milk mm. at all. So we found milk, and I said, this looks like milk. And Susan said, yeah, there's milk. And I said, it's milk from a cow. And she said, yes. Are you sure that's milk? And then she said, yeah. So she, she went ahead and then looked at it and it was to look, you know, on, on it, you know. So it's milk. So, so three of us, so what we did was we picked each of us with two gallons of milk, this big gallon, six gallons, and we put them in the, in, 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 in the, in the tray. And they said, okay, so you want to take all six of them? We say, yeah. <laughs> and they look at each other, and you know, in America, American people are better polite. They don't want to embarrass us or whatever it is. I mean, they look at each other, mm. and they say, okay. You don't want to buy other food? We say, no, this is enough. So we put all the six gallons of milk in the, in, in, in the cart, and then we went and checked out. Wow. So we checked the six gallon of milk out. We went in, you know, we were so happy. You know, we went back to our apartment. 
we could not wait that the American can go home quick, you know? So they went, they, they said, okay, John, we're gonna leave, okay? Yeah, I say, okay. Close the door quickly, they were gone, and they would start drinking our milk. We've been drinking milk for a week, you know, <laughs> with, no, with no any other food. So it was very, very good, you know. This is how I experienced. So the people from our church, they pick us every, um, you know, every Sunday to take us to church. And every Sunday they say, hey, don't forget, snow is coming, you know, make sure you, you know, help South Sudanese, help these refugees, and so on. They always, in their bulletin, in when somebody, when the, 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 the pastor is, is preaching and so on. And so people have been buying all these ugly stuff, like a, a hat, a glove, and boots, and big coats, and so on. Anyway, about October 18, there was, uh, you know, there, there, there was snow in East Syracuse, around Syracuse University. So Cindy from my church said, John, I, I'll, she called and said, John, there is snow around Syracuse University. I'll come and pick you so you can see snow. I said, yeah, okay. So she picked me up. We went to see snow for the first time. Mm. It was something white. So I just get, grab a bunch of snow and then squeeze it, it turned into water. So she got a bunch of snowball and threw it at me, and I did the same thing. So we were changing snowball. <laughs> a few minutes later, my hand fell numb. And I said, you know what, we gotta go home. Let, let, let's go back, it's cold. She said, okay. So, um, so what I did, I gathered a big bunch of snow like this, a big snowball, and put it in her trunk of her, trunk of her car. And then we, we went, went to our apartment, and I said, Andrew and Jacob, you know, the snowball is still intact, but a big, Andrew and Jacob, come and see snow. And they all came out, and we looked at snowball, and well, we took it inside and put it on our dining table. You know, five <laughs> minutes later, it started melting. <laughs> it is a stupid thing to do, but that, that's uh, what I call a cultural introduction to uh, American, uh, you know, culture and weather. You know, so those were sort of a situation after that, you know, after that, uh, we are supposed to be helped for three months. After three months, we were then on our own. Now, we'll, you have to pick a job and, and work mm. and support yourself. What was your job? My first job at McDonald's, mm. grilling hamburgers and doing dishes at McDonald's. My other second job, I was uh, producing what is called uh, the the plate, you know, the the, the what the, the the this machine that you use to shave your beard, uh, you know. And then so I I took on about two or three jobs at at the same time, you know. So sleeping only for two or three hours mm. a day, uh, went from job to job, went from job to job. It was great because I. I was able to support my people back in the refugee camp. So the 27,000 that you uh, were at, at at the height, the most people, the most lost boys and girls, how many ended up in the States? About 5,000. Wow. And so were some still alive but back in uh, Kenya? Oh, yeah. yeah. Some still alive now. Uh, many who didn't, maybe there would have been many, many who, would have been allowed to come, but because of September 11, that when we were coming, that's when America was striked, right. and America changed uh, migration policies, 
and uh, and that has affected us. So some of them, uh, you know, remain to stay in a refugee camp until South Sudan became independent. Many of them now are in South Sudan, uh, part of the government right now. Many of them are working for United, United Nations agencies, or some of them are also work for me as well uh, mm. in, 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 South, in South Sudan. So wh- where did you meet your wife? I met my wife in Kenya, in, in, in Kakuma refugee camp. Uh, I met her uh, you know, there one day as we were leaving school, going home, you know, because there's school somewhere and then home uh, there. So we were walking, walking home. And so Martha, my wife, was sort of like uh, ahead of me, but the two guys in the middle between us, between her and me, there were two guys. But these two guys were very naughty. I mean, they were just kicking dust at her feet, like, you know, intentionally doing that. And then Martha, my wife, then stepped off the, the road and then let these two guys, mean, mean, mean guys, go for And I said, wow, that is a very good Dinka girl. <laughs> so I said, well, let me see where she's going to go. I want to know where her, her home is. So I was following her as we go. I didn't go to my way. I just want to know where she's going to go. And then she, you know, then she went to her home. I said, okay, that is her home. I'm going to come back at some point. That's that how I, you know, come back and, and then start dating her. And so did she go to Syracuse as well? No, she went to Washington State. Oh, wow. She came first before me. Uh, eight months later, I came to Syracuse. Oh, wow. Okay. And what about your family, John, that uh, you were separated from uh, as a child? Um, did you continue to look for them? Yes. So, so when we came to Syracuse, people from our church said, uh, if you want, you, we, we can post your letters to, to, to tell to your, you know, your friend in, in the camp that you are okay, you know, that you have arrived in America and that you are okay and so on. I said, God, that's good. So the church organized that. So we wrote our letters to friends we have. So I wrote a letter to my friend. And my friend, you know, luckily he received my letter in the camp. And then he traveled to Uganda. From there, he was talking about America, how America is good, and that even women are not killing people. You know, women don't have guns to kill people. <laughs> and then my brother was listening to him. And, and the, this friend of mine called Daniel kept saying, my, my friend John said this, my friend John went to America. So my brother went to him after that and said, so who is this John? Oh, he said, it's John from the Dinka. You know, in South Sudan, you have tribe, tribe. So Dinka, Prombor, from uh, Duke, from Nyarweng. And my brother said, could that be my brother, John? They say, well, maybe not. John might have died a long time ago. Anyway, that guy was invited. Later, he was invited, a friend of mine was invited to go to refugee camp where my, my parents were in, in Uganda. And then he was then asked again, and he said, yeah, he said the same thing. So my older brother took uh, my address on that letter and said, okay, maybe I'm going to write to him. And he wrote to say, if you're my brother John, know that we are still, we are in Uganda, we're still alive. But if you're a different John, disregard it, you know. <laughs> so they, they sent a letter and put some pictures in it. So I received a letter 
uh, on, uh, on October 18, 2002, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and I was, could not believe that my family is still uh, alive. So mm-hmm. I was able to, um, you know, start the, the paperwork for them and the process to bring them to United States. Only my mother and my younger sister were allowed. My father, my other brothers, there is a rule there. You cannot bring somebody, you cannot bring your sibling, but you can bring your mom, you can bring your dad. So I could not bring my brothers and sisters, but I was able to bring my mother to United States. If you watch the documentary, God Grew Tired of You Know, when I uh, you know, met her at the, at the airport. Yeah, I remember I, I watched that scene a couple of days ago, and uh, I think that was one of the most powerful scenes from the movie. Right. And she was just uh, singing and dancing through the airport because <laughs> right. she's so happy. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so, um, and, and you mentioned that you, uh, you, you communicated back and forth with letters with uh, the people in Kakuma, and um, what, what, else, uh, what else have you been doing in terms of, like, work uh, to... to help uh, give back to, you know, mm-hmm. the lost boys that, that stayed in Kenya. Right, right. So I really didn't do anything other than just sending money to them, sending, uh, you know, $100 there, 5 1000 something like that, giving to them, especially those in Kenya. Uh, but I have helped uh, by, you know, especially people in South Sudan by bringing health care. There, I mean, I mean, bringing health clinic there. So I form, I end up forming about five nonprofit organizations, of which I'm running two of them now: the Janda Foundation and South Sudan Nation Builders. The Janda Foundation has built um, has built medical facilities that we right now, as we speak, we have about 19 facilities, medical facilities, uh, and also nutrition facilities too. Uh, we have helped, we have fed over a million people uh, through our nutrition services program. We have treated over uh, 900,000 people through our health program uh, as well. We did eye surgeries for 600 people who were completely blind. I mobilized doctors in America, took them there, and they did eye surgery for these people. Um, over, 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 over 300,000 children being born in that facilities, these John Dow Foundation facilities. So this is the, a, a way that I have used my influence in America and also as a sort of giving it forward to help uh, uh, you know, my people back in South Sudan. Now John Dow Foundation have 450 employees. Most of them are lost boys uh, who could not come to America. So that is that is uh, a, a sort of a giving back that I that I, I have instituted, put together. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and especially given the difficulty that you you've been through in life, it's it's really inspiring uh, to to that, that that you were able to turn it into something so positive for the world. Yeah, and, and that's the only place in the world that you can do that is United States, uh, where you can turn. A, a terrible experience into something positive, into something that can can help others 
only because in America, because you have people that are willing to, uh, to contribute, to give to that, people that are willing to give their time into your work, being part of this work. You know, so, so it is possible because of the United States. Mm, but also, I'm sure that you had to work incredibly hard and struggle, especially in the documentary, that the first few months uh, working two, three jobs, not sleeping a lot, uh, that must have been very difficult. And I'm sure it's been a, a huge struggle, but um, impressive nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm not trying to downplay how hard it is when you you know, in America to do things like that. Uh, but I also came from where, where you can work hard, but nothing you can show it for because there are no resources you can make this happen. Mm. You know, so coming to America, I tell to my refugee friends, when you come to America, is half of your success has already been achieved. 50% of your success is already achieved once you come to this country. So it's up to you to do the other 50%. That does not mean everything is easy here. It is good to work hard, and then you can see something that you work for, you make it happen. Uh, but there are places you can work so hard, but nothing you can show for it because the system and the environment, and the people will not make it happen. Mm. So, but in the United States, it is, if you do that, uh, maybe some people that are hearing me, they will say I'm naive, but I'm not naive. The label, the feel, that's what America always labeled the field so that people can play fairly. It has been labeled in the United States than any uh, than any anywhere else in the world, you know, label is even though it is a little bit rough in America, it's America is attempting to to label it so that it is smooth for everyone. It's up to you, your ability, your hard work, your habit, your 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 attitude toward work. That what will make you not achieve it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there may be those who will say, well, you are naive. No, I'm not naive because I have, have experience. Yeah. I came from Ethiopia. I, I mean, came from Kenya. I came from South Sudan. I know those areas. And, and your story, you know, all it takes is for someone to look at a story like yours as, as proof of that, even though America does, it might have some problems. But, you know, the fact that it's possible for you to have done what, what you've done is incredible in its own right. How, how did you end up in Richmond? How did I, uh, how, how did I come, did I come to Richmond? Um, well, I'm a motivational speaker, so I'm invited by corporations, uh, universities, high school, and so on. 2015, I was invited by my friend, who his name is called Mike Henry, been supporting John Duff Foundation. One of, one of his children, uh, you know, went to collegiate school. So one day, his son came back with a book called Long Walk to Water. Long Walk to Water, it's a book written on behalf of my friend called Salfadut. It's a Lost Boys as well. So his dad, I mean, uh, the, you know, uh, my, Michael has asked his uh, son, 
oh, this book, yeah, it's about Lost Boy. I said, oh, yeah, I know my friend John Dow, who lives in Syracuse, New York. Um, you know, I'm going to invite John to come and speak at Collegiate. So he invited me. I said, John, you know what? Uh, how about if you give some, you know, few of your time here to come and speak here uh, at my, my son's school? I said, okay, absolutely, I'm going to do it. So I came here in 2015, and I spoke at Collegiate. Unlike other places that I have been to before, I, I spoke over maybe 4,000 places, um, but Collegiate stand, uh, you know, stand out. Uh, people are better happy. The, the the school look very great, very good, and 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 you know the workers, the the teachers, the uh, the faculties, and all of those the children. I mean, the students were very happy. And I said, so I asked Michael, why why is this group is so happy like this? I said, yeah, John, this is the tradition here. I said, okay, well, this is great. I like the school. And said, even your children can come here too. And I said, ah, no, I don't think I'll leave Syracuse. And he said, yeah, you, you know. So I went back to Syracuse, and he said, John, are you thinking about, please, think about uh, collegiate. You know, you might come here. This community is wonderful, great community. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll think about it. And then, then he kept asking me whether I, I thought about it, you know, to move here. Um, you know, I said, yeah, well, maybe... I'll try and, you know, because I want to make it easy for him, I just say, okay, let me apply. And I said, maybe they would just say no uh, to my children. And then I would tell them, you know, it's okay. I try my best anyway, but they didn't. The school say, hallelujah, come. We, 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 you know, we would like your children to be here. You too, to, uh, if you can, you can come, maybe give us 20% of your time or 10% of your time to come to school and maybe teach here. Oh, I said, wow, this is good, you know. I decided I take risks most of the time. You know, my life had been risk, risk, risk. Right. And I said, you know, that's okay. I mean, the same America. And actually, besides, Richmond is a little bit uh, warmer than Syracuse, New York. <laughs> so I would be closer to Africa, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I told my wife. My wife said, well, you know, and then, anyway, our friend in Syracuse said, no, 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 don't go to Richmond. Don't you think that that place is South United States? It says Southern. And I said, what is Southern? Well, they talk about, uh, you know, how whatever it is. And I said, that's okay. I mean, I've been to many places before. You know, let me try. And so I took a risk. I came to Richmond uh, in 2016. And I got to tell you, from since then, I think I made a very good decision because the people at collegiate school is uh, a wonderful, wonderful community. Two things real quickly. Mike Henry is the voice actor. Yes. Mike Henry? Yes. Yes. So he's uh, well, uh, he's fairly well-known. Family in, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the second thing is, Collegiate is uh, my high school's arch rival. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where is your high school? Say, I would say Christopher's. St. Chris. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe I should not talk about it. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's been a long time. Uh, so you, you were telling us before we started recording, you have five children. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your children. Yeah, my children. I have five of them. I have uh, my older, uh, you know, firstborn. Uh, it's a daughter. Her name is called Agat, A-G-O-T. She's now in eighth grade now. Wonderful, wonderful, smart Young girl, um, she's doing better well uh, in school, collegiate. 
the second bone is my son Lake. It's spelled L E E K, but it's pronounced as Lake. Uh, he's doing very well, sixth grade now, he's 12 years old. My third is my daughter, Akur. She's now fifth grader, uh, she's 10 years old. Wonderful, the best reader in the house. Uh, you know, we last, last, uh, last summer we, we compete. Who is going to read more pages? She came up, you know, she read over 10,800 uh, uh, pages and so on, so she was way, way, way up there. Uh, and uh, my uh, fourth child is also my daughter, Anier. She's fifth grader now, six years old. And my last born is my son, Alair. Uh, he is now JK, uh, right now collegiate as well. A wonderful, wonderful team, uh, my, my children and my wife, Martha. Awesome. That, you have uh, the most amazing story of perseverance and positive spirit and hard work and just an amazing story. And so anything else you want to tell us about the John Dow Foundation? Like where can people find it and donate? They can go to uh, www.johndowfoundation.org. People pronounce or write my name as D-O-U or D-O-W. It's D-A-U, John Dow, J-O-H-N Dow Foundation.org. They can go to that. We have a very good program that uh, went to re- I went to uh, Washington D.C. last week. Uh, this week, actually, I, you know, we launched what we call a mass up, mass up for good. So we produce about 800 masks, uh, you know, face masks. That is, you know, we're asking people to donate, and then they'll get a mask. They donate at least. Seventy-five dollars, and they get a, a ma- uh, you know get a one mass there. So it's a best way to support us in that way, or either way, uh, John Duff Foundation is saving life. We have been, been we are the largest, uh, uh, you know, employer in the area. Uh, John Duff Foundation not going to go away. Is going to be there in South Sudan. So I want to build that organization. By the time I'm gone, I'm 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 no longer on Earth. It will be there to continue to help generation after generation. That's fantastic. And so we, we encourage our listeners to uh, absolutely contribute to your foundation. Your foundation is doing amazing work. And we have to conclude with, we met you uh, through Courtney Farrell. And so I wanted to mention Courtney's name. And, and how do you and Courtney know each other? Well, Courtney, uh, she has her children to go to collegiate. And that's the way, one way, that one, one area where we met. But also, they have been asking me to come to, you know, uh, to come to speak to people that they, their client. So I do come, uh, you know, sometime uh, to talk to their client as well, give them some sort of uh, inspiration according to her. Uh, you she, know, she's right. Yeah, Courtney yeah. is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Yeah. Yes, she is. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time, and uh, it was great hearing your story. I know you've told it a lot of times, but I appreciate you telling it uh, uh, one more time. God bless you, Paul. Yeah. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe through whichever app you're using. To share your thoughts, head over to our website at podso1.io, and there you can comment on episodes or send us feedback directly. Thanks for listening.